Welcome to the Aging Project podcast. Thank you for being here. I'm your host, Shelley Craft. As I've got older, I've come to realise we all need advice when it comes to aging well. So for season one of the show, I've pulled together the best possible support team for us. Doctors, researchers, coaches and creatives. Nothing is off limits. Food and nutrition, movement and mobility, menopause and gut health finding a sense of meaning. I want to cover it all. I believe with the Aging Project community banded together, our choices will be infinitely better, more informed, more considered. So if like me, you believe aging well starts now, then let's get going and start learning from some of the best. Welcome to today's episode. For every day is about health for me, you know, and it's the choices that I'm making. I'm either supporting myself or I'm putting myself on the back foot, right? But it's not about being perfect. I drink wine, I eat pizza sometimes. Welcome back, friends. It's Shelley here. Today we are answering the question, is gut health the key to aging well? I'm kicking things off with some facts, so please geek out with me for just a few moments. Here are some things that I have discovered whilst researching today's topic. And before I go there, can I just say how unappealing the word gut is? The gut the gut. Anyway, pressing on, stay with me. The gut is 40 times larger than the area of your skin. It averages seven to eight meters in length. It produces 20 different types of hormones and 100 trillion bacteria. How's this? Over your lifetime, 50,000 tons of food and 8,000 gallons of liquid will go through your gut. 90% of serotonin, which is your happy hormone, is produced in the gut. So if your gut isn't doing well, chances are your brain is also going to be less happy. It is safe to say I have completely underestimated this magical organ all of these years, the fact that I've never given it a second thought until now. Today we are talking about the gut because research suggests the health of our gut microbiome largely determines how we will age and the diseases we will either acquire or avoid. To give us the lowdown and help us understand more about the gut, I've asked author, the Shift podcast and founder, naturopath and nutritionist, Catherine Maslin, to chat with us. Now, this woman knows her stuff. She has helped thousands of people. So it is a very warm welcome to Catherine. I can't believe I'm actually excited to talk about the gut today. You certainly know you're getting older when topics like gut health excites you, but it is pretty exciting to think of what the gut is all about and what it's capable of. Oh, it's so wonderful to be with you today. Catherine, really the only time I've spoken about the gut is when I'm going with my gut or trusting my gut or I feel it in my gut, but never did I realise the gut had so much power and control over everything else that's going on in my body. It's really interesting you saying that, Shelley, because these kind of sayings like I've got a gut feeling about something or I feel it in my gut, they've been said since the beginning of time so intuitively we've always known that this part of us is so important but it's really the research that's now really showing us why and really allowing us to hone into these different parts of the gut and why they're actually so important for our health. One of the crazy facts that I read was so many more messages go from the gut to the brain than from the brain to the gut. Now, here we are thinking that the brain controls everything. Yeah, and there's this massive gut-brain connection. And I guess the way that I would explain that to my patients is that when you're nervous, where do you feel it? You know, like when we're emotional, 
we feel it, right? So on a really basic emotional, mental level, where our thoughts do impact our gut health and the way that it works, but there's messages going from your gut to every single organ in the body. And it's really crazy when you think about that because traditionally it was like, okay, we need gut health to digest our nutrients and that's where the buck stopped. And that is incredibly important. But now we're really really realizing that these messages that the gut is sending to these other areas of the body have major roles in disease prevention and modulation and all kinds of things. It's really fascinating. Mm -hmm. So where do we start with good gut health? I guess it starts right now, right this very second from the next uh, morsel that we put in our mouths is going to affect our lives from this point on. I think so. I think it's worth explaining why gut health is important, right? Because it's a two-pronged effect. The first one is that if your gut health is suboptimal, you won't be absorbing the nutrition from your food. Mm -hmm. So no matter how amazing your diet is and how perfect it is and how much nutrition is there, if you can't get that into the bloodstream, then you're going to end up with nutritional deficiencies. And nutrition is important for every single function in the body, right? So as soon as we start becoming depleted in certain nutrients, we have a much, much higher risk of disease across the board. The second part of it, and this is where we're really seeing some major research being done in this area, is the health of the microbiome. Mm -hmm. So the microbiome is the two to three kilograms of bacteria, yeast, and other things that live inside of us. And it almost works as an organ unto itself, right? So you have these two to three kilograms of bacteria, yeast, all these different things that have multiple roles from modulating your immune system to creating neurotransmitters um, to helping you manufacture nutrients. And when this microbiome is under damage, we know that it has a huge link with disease. And in particular, every single chronic disease basically that you can imagine has links to poor microbiome health. So we've opened up this massive can of worms to go, whoa, Mm -hmm. this gut health piece is really, really more important than we ever thought. So just by eating well, obviously, isn't, isn't enough. If you're going to start today, you've got to actually get your microbiome working, functioning properly, and then that's the platform to then have a better life. That's right. And it's actually a bit of a circular thing there because if you don't eat well, then the microbiome's not going to be healthy. And if the microbiome's not healthy, you're not going to feel as good and you're probably not going to eat as well. So we are eating for two. And ever since we were babies, this is happening. Human breast milk has actual bacteria in it but it also has fibers that we can't digest and the baby can't digest it's there for the bacteria so we're always whenever we're consuming something eating for our own nutrition but also eating to feed our microbes continually and if you want an example of just how much this is happening about 50 percent of your bowel movements your poo is bacteria right? And that's how much that replication is happening. So we do need to be really conscious of feeding ourselves, but also feeding our microbes. So it sounds like much more than just, you know, having a probiotic in the morning before you start your day. Absolutely. And if anything, I think that probiotics are probably a bit overused and misunderstood. Um, And I think that prebiotics, which is the actual food that the bacteria eat, so things like your fibres that you're getting through food, are undervalued. Um, And they're not as sexy as taking a probiotic, you know, taking a bit of beneficial fibre or eating whole grains or eating fruits and vegetables, but these are the things that are going to make the biggest difference in the long term. And obviously it's not just what you put in your body, it's also what you put on your body that's going to affect this amazing microbiome. 
Yeah, well, if putting things on your body will affect the microbiome of the skin. So we have a microbiome of our gut, we have a microbiome of our skin, in our vagina. In fact, there's a microbiome of the ovaries, of the fallopian tubes. It's the more we go down this kind of bacterial pathway, we're finding that there's microbes all throughout our bodies, right? So we want to think about for the gut, it's mostly what we're going to be putting in our mouth, what we're eating and drinking and stuff that we're putting on our skin is probably more going to impact that local skin area. So how do you know whether you have a healthy or an unhealthy gut? Great question. For a lot of people, you're going to be getting symptoms, right? And those symptoms might range from bloating to wind or gas to burping to having a regular bowel movement. So there might be loose or you might be constipated or you might just feel blur. You might just, as you eat throughout the day, just feel uncomfortable and not good. And these are definitely signs that things are going wrong. So that's more than However, just the However, you can have issues with the microbiome without having gut symptoms. And it's probably more the exception than the norm, but definitely I've have had patients. And the one that comes to mind is a patient that had um, breast cancer. So she had a heap of chemotherapy. Chemotherapy kills cells in the body. And some of those cells are your gut cells, right? And the, and the microbes inside of you. So it has a really big impact on gut health. So I knew that she had this history, but she had zero digestive symptoms. Okay. Perfect bowel movements, no bloating, none of the stuff that would indicate. So because of her history and the symptoms that she was currently getting were allergies, she was experiencing hives, which is an immune type dysregulation. Mm -hmm. And for me, anytime there's immune dysregulation, I want to look back to the gut. So I went and did microbiome screening and she had one of the worst I've ever seen that had zero symptoms. So I would recommend if people are getting any immune stuff, particularly autoimmune allergies, immune deficiency, stuff like that, even if they have no symptoms to go and get some microbiome screening so they can see where they lie. And I think sometimes having that testing, it just gives you that motivation to do a bit better for yourself. You know, if you're not experiencing symptoms, it might be harder to keep the diet clean and do the stuff. Yes. But having that testing can be really, really helpful. That sounds like a fabulous platform to start from, no matter whether you're feeling great or not. Yeah. And the microbiome testing is becoming cheaper and it's becoming more widespread. And I really believe that the way that medicine is headed is we will have these microbiome screenings and then we'll actually be prescribed things based on that because different drugs will damage your microbiome and affect them in different ways. And depending on the health of your microbiome will depend on how you respond to different treatment as well. So there's some really interesting stuff to come for sure. Just a quick break in today's episode to mention the Aging Project 12-week challenge prize that is worth over $4,000. We want to spoil someone from our community whose life and aging journey has been positively impacted by our podcast and the 12-week challenge because that's why we started this whole thing in the first place, to improve the lives of women. So one lucky person will win all four prizes, which is a three-day mana yoga retreat at Soma in Byron Bay, a Vitamix blender, a Lorna Jane voucher, and if you feel comfortable telling your story, we would love to welcome you as our podcast guest for season two. But that is optional, although I would love you to sit and chat with me. To get involved, just subscribe by visiting theagingproject.com.au and don't forget to visit our socials for updates. We would love you to join our growing community. So how do you test a microbiome? What sort of test is it? It's obviously not a, a blood test. Is it a stool test? or 
It's a poo test. Yeah. yeah, it's a stool test. Yep. So it's not the most fun test to do. You've got to collect your poo in a little tray. And depending on the test and how much they're testing, you might need to scoop up a little bit um, or you might just do a swab test. Um, but there's quite a few different labs that do them. There's a few public ones, but we use some practitioner labs too that will look into things a little bit more deeply as well. And is it the same as a blood test where you need to actually set out what you're testing for? I always thought you could just screen your blood and it would tell you everything that's going on in your body, but they actually test for such specific things. Is it the same with a microbiome test? Well, not really, because the labs that do it, they've got their subset of what they would consider normal, okay? And this is from research, but it's also just from doing thousands and thousands of tests and going, okay, what is the norm for people? What are people that are outliers of that? So when you're doing microbiome screening, depending on the complexity of the test, they are testing your entire microbiome to the capability of what we have with science now, right? And that's improving and changing. So when I graduated, you know, 15 years ago, the microbiome screening we had was looking at lactobacilli and bifido and a few groups, but now the tests that we have have probably about 30 different strains that we're looking at we're looking at all the different types and we know more about what they do so as the years go by we're discovering more and more and the testing is becoming a lot more specific and honed in and some of them will even do things like test for the microbiome and then actually go well you're deficient in this this is the type of fibers that you need to eat to improve it so there's that kind of stuff out there as well fantastic so can is it possible to ever have a perfectly healthy gut or is this something you're constantly working on to achieve that optimal result it's a good question i do believe that a big portion of why we're all so unwell in in general is because of our gut health mm -hmm. right and if you think about it this way your microbiome comes from your mother when you come through the birth canal so that's your first inoculation of bacteria so if you're born by a cesarean or if your mother wasn't in good health and she had lots mm -hmm. of antibiotics or poor gut health then that gets passed down. So with every generation, we're losing species of bacteria and integrity of the microbiome. And what the research shows is our microbiomes are probably 40 to 50% degraded to what they were when we were hunter-gatherers. Oh, wow. Okay, and we have... And this is a very short period of time in human history, if you think about it, right? Humans have been around for a very long time and it's only really been the last couple of hundred years where we've been eating this way and mm -hmm. existing this way and not having what we need. So is that because is that because the food we eat now is too clean? Uh, it's so processed or it, it's had all that good stuff taken out of it rather than just, you know, catch and kill and cook it over a fire. Would that lifestyle have had more goodness and nutrition for us? Absolutely. So there's a few things. The first one is we just don't eat enough fibre. So think about the type of things that we may have used to hunted and gathered, even outside of fruit and vegetables. All of the fruit and veggies that we have are very, very small, right? We've compressed it right down and we've made it so they don't have lots of fibre and they're not chewy, right? Right? We've chosen and bred our food to be this way. But even if you're eating all of, of that fibre, you've still got to understand that we have so many other modern interventions that have messed up our microbes. We're drinking chlorinated water, tap water. Okay, Chlorine is an amazing antibacterial, which is why we can drink the water, but it also is going to damage the microbes. Mm -hmm. We're having antibiotics both for medicine, but also through the food supply. So, you know, I think something like, 50% of the antibiotics that come into Australia are actually for livestock, 
not for humans, right? So we're getting traces of those through food. So one of the questions that I'm asking my clients when I'm looking at, okay, just assessing what what is the potential damage is, what was your childhood like? Did you have tonsillitis? Were you getting urinary tract infections regularly? Were you allowed to eat dirt in the playground? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and there's that part of it as well, right? So it's like the hygiene hypothesis where kids just don't get exposed so when a, a baby is small, we have that initial inoculation through the mother, through the vaginal canal, and then we're getting everything from the environment, from breast milk, um, from dirt. And this is why babies put everything in their mouths, right? It's this innate thing that they're tasting the environment. So things like people with pets have more of a diverse microbiome than people who don't when the babies are growing up. And by the time you're two or three, you have an adult-like microbiome. So those early years are really, really important. And so say you were um, formula feeding, have they instilled a lot of um, microbiomes into that as well, if perhaps they're not getting it from the breast milk that they need? Not really. Um, Some of them have started to do things like probiotics and a little bit of prebiotics, but not comparatively. I think breast milk formula has a lot to answer for and could be a lot better. So where do we go with resetting our gut? Where can we even begin? So there's three kind of things, main things that you need to look at. And this is what we guide our clients through. And the first one is removing the things that are damaging it. Okay. Every day we're consuming, exposed to things that are damaging our gut microbiome mm-hmm. um, and also damaging our gut health in general. So I would usually recommend if you have digestive symptoms of any kind to go gluten and dairy free. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for this. And they're not particularly related to the microbiome, but more about the inflammatory level of the gut. Mm-hmm. And it's that they're big and they're difficult to digest. They have large proteins. They're generally inflammatory and they cause people problems. You know, and I've seen over 5,000 patients. I've never seen anyone that thrives on wheat and dairy in their right. everyday diet. Right? Um, <laughs> minute on your lips, forever on your hips, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You might love the so, taste, but it's not doing you any good at all. Yeah, so eliminating those are important. Sugar is also a big problem for our microbiome because when we have sugar and refined carbohydrates, so your cakes, crackers, biscuits, you know, white foods, white rice even can be a problem here. It feeds up the yeast component of your gut and you end up with candida or other yeast overgrowths. And in the gut microbiome, it's important to understand that it's not so much about too much of one thing or not about enough of the other. If you can think about it as more of an ecosystem. So imagine you have a rainforest and in the rainforest, you have really tall trees. You've got smaller trees that are growing up underneath. You've got big fallen trees that are rotting and there's moss on them and there's insects and there's heaps of leaf litter. And then on the top, you've got this big canopy, right? So if I went into that rainforest and ripped the canopy off, what would happen? You would have the smaller trees grow up, the moss is is drying up. There's going to be a a completely different ecosystem over Mm -hmm. time. And this is what happens with our gut microbiome. So if we're consuming lots of sugar, what happens is we have high candida and other yeasts that grow up and they'll crowd out other stuff. So then all of a sudden, because of that sugar, it hasn't directly damaged the lactobacilli, but it's crowded it out. And then now we don't have enough beneficial flora in certain areas. And we call this a dysbiosis, where there's a dysbiotic picture of these gut microbes, right? So we're removing anything that's going to disrupt that. The other thing um, is thinking about things like dishwashing liquid. 
things like dishwashing powder, right, that can damage the microbiome. Certain medication can damage the microbiome. So things like non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. So if you're the type of person that's in pain a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, you might have a shoulder injury or you might have headaches all the time and you're popping a lot of these drugs, they will damage the microbiome. The oral contraceptive pill damages the microbiome as well. So having an awareness of, okay, what are the things that I'm exposed to? Getting a water filter to filter out the chlorine so that doesn't damage your microbiome, right? And every little bit will help. Mm -hmm. The second part of the repair process, it's like, well, how do I give my gut what it needs? Okay. And part of this is, is with healing, looking at healing things like leaky gut or intestinal permeability. And there I'm recommending things like bone broth, you know, making sure that you have adequate zinc in the diet, you know, stuff like that is really important. And from a microbiome perspective, how do we feed them with really good quality fiber? Okay. And we want soluble and insoluble fiber. Mm-hmm. So whole grains, things, gluten-free whole grains like brown rice, quinoa, buckwheat are really beneficial. Legumes, lentils, chickpeas, beans. This particular um, family of vegetables is really, really good for your gut health, Mm -hmm. right? Really great for fiber. And then just fruit and veggies and a very wide variety of them. So different microbes are going to eat different things. So we want to have a really good variety in the diet of all these different fiber sources. It's crazy, isn't it? Because so many um, diets these days say cut out your grains, obviously stay Mm -hmm. off fruit, Um, limit your intake of of seeds or... um, your legumes but you need a little bit of everything yeah and in some instances that that can be really beneficial myself I am keto a lot of the time and I kind of flick in and out and can have that metabolic flexibility Mm -hmm. but all of these diets keto low FODMAPs is a massive huge example are really bad for gut health if you do them long term because you're just not getting the fiber that you need to feed those microbes so in the short term yes you know you're serving a purpose Um, but it's really important to understand what are the long-term implications. And I know FODMAPs is a really good example because people have such messed up microbiomes. These foods, FODMAP foods are all the foods that are good for your gut. (laughs) So when you're cutting out all of these foods, they're fermentables, right? So they're fermented by the gut bacteria. And when we have issues with our bacteria and dysbiosis, we may eat something like garlic, or onion or legumes and have massive reactions. Mm -hmm. So it's not about the food, it's about the gut. So it's going, well, how do I actually navigate that? And then you might want to see someone, see a nutritionist, see a naturopath and actually get them to help you through that period. So a lot of allergies or reactions that you're having to foods, you might be able to combat that and and then start all over again. So if you haven't eaten onion for years, if you get your, your gut sorted, you might be okay. That's right. And it's a really common mistake I see people make is they have allergies and they go down the allergy testing pathway. Mm -hmm. So they have food reactions and then they go and do a 96 food panel and spend $400 on that. It's useless having that information if you don't heal the gut. So for us at our clinic, we're always doing comprehensive stool gut analysis, treating that, and then we may go down that testing pathway. But I would say it's like 20 to 1, we're doing gut testing Mm -hmm. over doing this allergy testing because that is going to show up all these foods. But what it's telling you is that the gut immunity is not right. So we need to go back to basics and actually work from the ground up to heal that. So every so often, uh, I guess every six months or so, I would do a juice cleanse. So juice for seven days. Um, But that sounds like it's going to be stripping out a lot of the good bacteria that's in your gut, although it's giving you sort of a clean start. It might be taking out the good stuff as well as the bad. 
I'm actually a really big um, proponent of juice cleansers. So, and I think it's, and depending on how you do it, but what the idea with juice cleansing is you're actually taking away all that stuff and you're giving the gut a rest, right. you know, and sometimes for that deeper healing, it does need that rest, you know, and I've done 10 day fast a, a number of different times and there is actually a rebuilding phase after that. So if you're doing fast or you're juice cleansing, it is important that when you start eating, the right stuff's coming in. So you don't want to go just from juice cleansing straight into just eating. Just hardcore back into it. Yeah, because then it's it's going to impact you. But certainly if you juice cleanse and then come in with those good foods, you know, come in with the fruit, the veggies and gently restore that way, then that's going to be really beneficial. So at the Shift Clinic, you would have seen some extraordinary cases come through. I'm sure people who didn't realise actually how unhealthy they were, but just that overall feeling of I'm just not on the money today. Can you tell us one of those stories? Yeah, for sure. The one that comes to mind immediately, a recent one, is a patient that had chronic diarrhea and IBS type symptoms. So her gut was always irritated and it really impacted her because she couldn't be anywhere without knowing where a toilet was. So she would be terrified to drive too long in her car or to go into a meeting and do that kind of thing. So she had this kind of really common picture that we see with our patients, which is this gut nervous system immune, right? So we talked about the gut brain connection being really massive, but Mm -hmm. there's also an immune connection. It becomes kind of this triangle where If people are stressed and overwhelmed, it affects their immune system and their gut, and then the gut is affected and it affects the immune system and it can be hard to break out of that. So for her, we did some stool testing and it was that her bacterial levels were really low, but her fungal levels were really high as well. Um, And she didn't have parasites or anything like that. It was just the gut was so inflamed and irritated that the body was just like, get it out. (laughs) And all of the normal things, no matter how hard she tried, the body would just react to that. So in that instance, what we need to do is come in with herbs and things that calm and soothe and heal. And we repaired stuff, you know, within two months, she was like, I can't believe it. Like, I just couldn't imagine the amount of stress that I had, even thinking about something as simple that we take for granted in controlling our bowel movements, right? Um, And she had a lot of allergies, hay fever stuff that resolved too. And a lot of the work that we did with her was definitely gut, but stress is a really big one as well. And that's that third component of healing that I was talking about is that stress emotional link. Because when we are in stress, our gut literally shuts down. We Mm -hmm. don't have acid. We don't have enzymes. Um, It actually damages the microbiome as well. So, yeah, that was a really good success story for her. She made a full recovery, totally fine. So even though a lot of those messages going from the gut to the brain, obviously the ones that are coming from the brain to the gut can be just as damaging as the food that you're actually putting in. Oh, absolutely. And the research shows actually that when we are chronically stressed, so we're secreting cortisol all the time, which is a lot of us, right, (laughs) a lot of the time, is that it actually will change your microbes and they'll look for stress. So they're looking for the chemical mediators for stress. So it's, it's, a, it's a massive mind shift, right? Because, of course, we would understand that if we eat something that damages our gut or maybe even directly that the cortisol may damage the gut, but the gut's looking for that, mm-hmm. right? And it creates this feedback loop. So, and this is holism. Your body, it's one being. So it's really understanding that if you've been under chronic stress, we need to break those loops, but we will need some probably significant tools to do that because it's almost like that body is feeding off of that from a gut level, from an emotional level, from a habit level. It's, you know, it can be a lot to break through for people. Speaking to yourself, who is obviously all about uh, wellness and aging well, what sort of personal routines do you have or what choices do you make that keep you healthy and aging well? So for me, 
it's every, every day is about health for me, you know, and it's the choices that I'm making. I'm either supporting myself or I'm putting myself on the back foot, right? But it's not about being perfect. I drink wine. I eat pizza sometimes, okay? <gasps> it's blasphemy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> um, but for me, I movement is really important for me and sweating in particular. So I do saunas. I do high-intensity exercise. Um, I also do yoga and lower stuff. But I, I know that I need to sweat and I feel better for that, mm-hmm. right? I know that meditation is really important for me and just having time and space to be able to do that. And uh, eating organic is also really important to me and something that I'm really passionate about. Um, I've always been into organics. I used to work at organic farmers markets when I was in university. Um, But just recently, and I think from releasing season two of The Shift, which is all about women's health, infertility, and all of that stuff, it's really just come to light. There's just so much more research now about environmental toxins and mm-hmm. pesticides. And, you know, I'm pretty hardcore with that. I think that's a really important thing for health. It's interesting, isn't it? Because now, obviously, that holistic way of living is coming more into the everyday, uh, but still finding those, as you say, the supplements that are going to work for you, those organic products, not as easy in the city as they are in in smaller country towns where you are sort of closer from the paddock to plate. Yeah, or I actually think it could be the opposite, Shelley, because in the capital cities now, there's a lot of organic delivery companies, there's farmers markets, and I find my rural patients have the most trouble unless they're growing their own um, because a lot of those rural stuff it is paddock to plate but it's conventional farming you know so unless they have um, these small organic farms nearby they're eating conventional food and I think it's um it just needs to be normalized you know we need to kind of swing back the other way so that people aren't thinking about it all the time and mm-hmm. definitely you can see a resurgence with organic stuff but it is something to consider. And the other one I think we're talking about gut health is just glyphosate, which is like your Roundup. So really avoiding GM foods and wheat. When they harvest wheat, they spray it with glyphosate, which dries it out a little bit. It's just part of their process. But glyphosate does damage the gut microbiome, and we know that from research. So there's a lot of reasons to try and just, you know, avoid some of these chemicals. So if people want to connect with you, Catherine, I know you're a busy, busy lady. Obviously, listening to the Shift podcast is a great way that they can learn more about you and what you do and obviously the topics that we're talking about today. Are there other clinics like the Shift around? We're quite unique in that we're, as far as we know, the world's only natural health membership-based practice. So our clinic in Brisbane, we have a multimodality practice where we basically co-manage people through this membership type model. Um, So we are quite unique in that. But I would recommend if people want to learn more about us to listen to the podcast, The Shift. And season one is all about gut health. So if you're listening to this, that's going to be relevant. But season two is women's health. And we talk about menopause and we talk about healthy ageing and emotional health and all of that stuff as well. But you can go to theshiftclinic.com and you'll find all of our resources there. Catherine, it's been so lovely to chat to you today. If you could leave us with one final thought, one thing that we could take away from this today besides overhauling our, our entire lifestyle, what would it be? I think the biggest piece of advice that I'm giving people at the moment is just to be kind to yourself. You know, I think, and especially for women, I think we're so self-critical and we're always, you know, trying to do everything all of the time. And we really need to quiet that inner critic and really honor ourselves and create more internal kindness. 
And I think that if we could do more of that, we would be happier and healthier. Here, here, I 100% agree. You've just got to lighten your own load and therefore you're sort of making space in your life to make changes like we've talked about today. So again, thank you so much. And I will be tuning in to The Shift. Thanks again, Catherine. Thanks, Shelley. Well, there you have it. How fabulous was Catherine from The Shift podcast and clinic. I felt like I've had a much needed masterclass in gut health. The penny has dropped for me. For now, my plan is to nourish my gut with lots of diverse foods and, of course, keep my mindfulness practices going. I might also look into my water filter. If you have any concerns about your own gut health, please reach out for a virtual appointment with The Shift Clinic. If you've got any feedback or you'd like to reach out and join the Aging Project podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can, of course, leave your reviews on iTunes. You can reach us on social media, either via the website or, of course, Instagram. We are there and we can't wait to talk to you. If there's something you'd like us to look at for season two, let us know about that also. Until next time, I'm your host, Shelley Craft, and thank you for being a part of the Aging Project community. We'll see you next week. The Aging Project is brought to you by Polly Studio. They're our go-to team for all things podcasting.